0: Hello and welcome to the Make Better Photos and Videos Podcast. I'm Ross. I'm Gordon. Hey folks, welcome to episode number 133. And today, Gordon decided to pick at a scab.
1: He's passing the buck
0: here. Absolutely passing the buck because it's a scab <laughs> what desperately needs picking. So, Gord, Mr. Gordon. Dr. Gordon, what are we talking about today?
1: Well, we're talking about something that stemmed from a comment I heard in a webinar the other day, where the person who was presenting said, I always shoot in manual, and sometimes I shoot in aperture priority, but if I have to twiddle the exposure compensation... I may as well shoot in manual. And I said, something here doesn't sound right. So, I'm throwing this open to see how many people we can upset.
0: Well, I don't know how many people we can upset. So, we'll start off with shoot in whatever mode you like. Whatever makes you happy is the right answer for you. Mm-hmm. However, where I get annoyed is when people tell other people to do something for no reason other than that they do it. Mm -hmm. And I fundamentally believe that art is a matter of choice and personal decision. Doing what everybody else does is called being a Xerox machine. (laughs) And while I marvel at the wonders of the Xerox machine, I don't want to be one. Now, that doesn't mean that we can't learn from other people, but edicts make my teeth hurt. So, let's take that statement, for example. Is it true? It's true for him. True. Or Mm -hmm. her. Or the, The person who was delivering the webinar. It's true for them, but it's an opinion. And as a listener, more importantly as a creative... You can choose to, yes, I subscribe fully, or no, not at all, or somewhere in the middle. And whatever you choose is going to be right because there is no scientific data that says shooting in manual delivers better images.
1: Correct. But it's also better if when one is making up one's mind of which of these methods to choose, that there is a better understanding of what each of them does so that you can pick what works for you.
0: It sounds to me like you are suggesting RTFM. Read the fine manual. No, No, I have to be fair that... Usually the F word is a different one. <laughs> so I've subbed in fine. But yeah, you're right. You need to know what you're choosing for and choosing against. And it's quite possible you may have different choices for different situations.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So let me ask you before we we move forward. Oh, there's that phrase I hate. Move forward. Bang! Dead in a ditch, is there a mode that you shoot in all the time, no matter what? No. Me either. I, why, why not, Gordon?
1: Uh, because, uh, like most things, sort of like camera lenses, no one mode will suit all the circumstances that you may find yourself in.
0: I agree with you completely. Uh, You know, I will shoot probably predominantly in aperture preferred mode. But if I'm concerned about freezing subjects or blurring subjects, I might choose shutter preferred. Mm -hmm. If I'm in a studio where nothing's changing, I might choose manual. Mm -hmm. And honestly, if there are days where I just want nice snapshots, I might choose P for professional. Yes. Yes. Absolutely, or what some people the the green mode, (laughs) because green means go for most people. Yep. Although there is one camera manufacturer for whom the green mode is colored red. Okay. Bad marketing. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) But not our problem. So, let's suppose, for example, do you shoot an aperture preferred? Yes. Oh, okay. Um, so there's two methodologies in one of these semi-automatic modes. We're going to leave program mode, green mode, behind for just a moment. Because really, they are doing everything with a goal of delivering a decent photograph 95% of the time. Yep. And it does. So, when you shoot an aperture preferred or shutter preferred, There are two real methodologies that you've documented that I think are clear that you can use in either of those modes. Mm -hmm. What are they? Uh,
1: The principle behind it is that you pick the parameter uh, that you have decided is optimum for that image. And you lock that in and let the camera take care of the other parameter the three parameters of course being uh, it's either aperture it's either the aperture the shutter speed or the iso so you lock in the one that you decide is necessary and you let the camera do what it does best and handle the other two
0: right and if we were to to localize that out let's say for example that it was aperture preferred You're choosing the aperture because you are in control of the depth of field. Correct. And you're happy to let the camera pick the shutter speed. I am. And you may even be happy to let the camera pick the ISO. I do. To get it to work in whatever lighting situation you're in. Pretty much. Now, it's also conceivable that at some point you might say, yeah, I want to choose the shutter speed and let the camera pick the aperture. Yes. But I also want to choose the ISO because... I don't know why, because, but because you've got that as something that you want to do. We
1: have always been told that you you pick the ISO that's that's going to be appropriate for what you want to do so that the parameters basically settle out at a reasonable level.
0: Right on. It's just one of those things that we've grown to believe we have to do. Yes. It may not always be true but we're comfortable with it.
1: Except now the cameras have taken it one step further.
0: Tell us more.
1: Well, it used to be that you, you set two things. You set either the aperture or the shutter speed, and you set the ISO for what was appropriate, and the remaining parameter was handled by the camera. However, now with the advent of an auto ISO, you can, in fact, do the equivalent of shooting in manual by setting both the aperture uh, and the shutter speed for what you think is appropriate and let the camera do the rest with the ISO. Or pick one and let the camera do the other two.
0: And you're absolutely right. Now, however, I want to make sure that we um, that we organize protection for you when you leave because the manual zealots will be hunting you down for daring to suggest that you let the camera pick the ISO.
1: Well, they've got to find me first.
0: Right on. <laughs> and I'm going to bet on you, <clears throat> my Scottish samurai druid friend. There you go. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. Now, if you're shooting in manual, you're going to have to select all those things. Not necessarily a bad thing. But what do you do to get a correct exposure?
1: Uh, you look at the, whatever you want to call it, the, di- the dial or the um, the spectrum Uh, that shows up in your viewfinder or in your LCD, if that's what you're using. And you twiddle the dials until you get the arrow pointing to the middle, which is supposed to be the
0: right exposure for that set of circumstances. So you're using the in-camera light meter? Gasp. Yes. Harsh. Now, if I'm shooting in... Aperture preferred. Yep. And I'm letting the camera pick the shutter speed, maybe even pick the ISO. Yep. Isn't there still a light meter involved? Yep. Oh. So I'm doing less work to get the same thing? Yep. Hmm. And I'm going to get the same image. Yep. So why do I want to do all that extra work? I don't know. Okay, because okay. I, I don't know either. Now, what if I want to change the exposure? What if what I see on the LCD is not what I want? I'd like it to make it brighter or darker. Or we're, we're in that 5% where the light meter is going to be fooled. Yep. Like we talked about snow last time. Yep. I know I've got to give it two more stops of light, mm-hmm. whether I do that by opening the lens up two stops or slowing the shutter speed two stops or raising the ISO two stops or some combination of the three that gives me two stops, Right. do I have to be in full manual to do that? No. Nope. Oh.
1: Well, if you're doing all those things, then yes, you do. But there is an easy way. So what's the easier way? You twiddle the third dial. Which is the exposure compensation
0: dial. Exposure compensation. Which has existed... What was the first camera I ever saw that had that? I think I'm going to go back to 1976. Okay. Exposure exposure compensation, not a new concept. Because... A lot of those cameras had, in the case of Canons, they had Shutter Priority, Right. Canon A-series, a very popular AE-1 yep. back in the day. Um, Nikon, Minolta, they were typically aperture preferred. I seem to recall that Fujifilm was also aperture preferred. So you had this compensation dial. You twisted a dial and you said, oh, I want it brighter, and, or I could go twist the dial towards plus. Like, more. And if I wanted less, darker, I would twist the dial to go to minus.
1: Mm-hmm. Less. Mm-hmm.
0: Now, of course, I wouldn't know till I got the film back. Yep. But the process is exactly the same for our digital cameras, except for one thing. I don't know right freaking now. Yep. I don't even have to make the photograph. I can look at the live view on the LCD and I'm, I'm fortunate enough to have one of the new mirrorless cameras that has an EVF. I'm going to see it right now. in the freaking viewfinder even before I squeeze the shutter. Yep. So what am I gaining by not using compensation?
1: Uh, by not twiddling the dials to get the compensation, you're, you're and just using the system that's built in, you're, you're gaining all kinds of, well, time, efficiency, and getting the same result.
0: Right, so I could do it all in manual, it just might take longer.
1: Yep, it will take longer.
0: Okay. Now, how hard is is it to use this exposure compensation function?
1: Uh, No more difficult than modifying three other parameters to get the dial to show you that you have achieved it. Hmm. And it's considerably less complicated.
0: So I can do the same thing, whether I'm in the semi-automatic modes or the manual mode, achieve the same level of success. But I may find that using one of the automation tools that occurs quicker, with less complex- complexity, less work for me, and maybe less stress. mm <laughs> That sounds like it would appeal to the vast number of folks. So why use manual?
1: Um, As a preferred method, uh, not much. There, There are not very many good reasons that I can see. There are some scenarios where using manual is probably a good thing to do or to achieve a certain effect.
0: Um, but are those but the rule or are they the exception? They're the exception. So let's focus on the rule. Okay. What am I getting? What What's the benefit to me as a creative for shooting manual? Now, I hear one all the time. Well, I've got more control over the image. And to me, that sounds like horse bucky because i got control over the image, whether I'm shooting in manual, semi-automatic, and to be blunt, I've got that same level of control if I'm using exposure compensation. I simply don't decide which one varies. Right. But it all works.
1: It it all works, and uh, if you're aiming for the same point where that uh, little pointer is going to point to the middle of your screen... uh, Yeah, who cares how it gets there as long as it gets there?
0: So the contention that you get more control over the image is a subjective truth based on an opinion. Yes. But there's no objective truth behind that. I can't see it. Right. It's simply a different approach. Not saying it's bad, but it's not better. Yeah, I'd agree with that. If we're going for the the correct air quotes, correct exposure, we're going to get the same result no matter what we do. Yep. Okay. Now, whether we're shooting in manual or one of the semi-automatic modes, you said at the beginning this is based on the data that the camera's getting through the light meter. Yep. So we are basing our operational application decision On the same data set. Yep. So it really doesn't matter. No. Okay.
1: Except that
0: it's possible,
1: and I think I've heard you mention this in the past, that the amount of effort and money and research and image evaluation that has gone into the cameras or the camera manufacturers developing the algorithms to get you to this point way exceeds anything you, I, or anybody else is likely to have shot in their lifetime.
0: Well, that, that is factually true. That is objective data. Let's say that I'm a really serious creative artist who is a younger person than I am today. Yep. And I'm not taking pictures. I'm going to take snapshots out of it. Lots of value to those, but I'm not thinking about them in manual anyway. Right. I might shoot 2 million. Okay. Photographs sure. in the course of a lifetime. Go cool with that. I sure was hell would not want to call that mess down into something worth keeping, but let's suppose that's the number. That's over a human lifetime. Whereas I know that companies like Nikon, like Canon, like Fuji, like others, have studied tens of millions of images made in a reasonably recent period of time to come up with the algorithms that they use, yep. their sample size is larger by an order of magnitude. That means factors of ten mm-hmm. by an order of magnitude more than any normal human can achieve. Okay. Yep. And possibly at this point, more than any human could ever achieve, just based on the amount of time that they have alive in order to make images. Mm-hmm because they're looking at a much greater sample size. So one of the old comments was, well, the program and the semi-automatic modes don't do a very good job. To which I will say, toro poopoo. And my rationale for that is the 2 billion smartphone photographs taken and shared every day. Yep. They're all automatic. They're all based on what the light meter sees. Yep. Do light meters get deceived? Yes, well, they sure. do. And we know when they are, when most of the background's black and, or when most of the background's white. And the rest of the time, they're yeah. pretty bang on good. Now, creatively, you may choose to alter that exposure, but you already answered that. Mm-hmm. Exposure compensation. Yep. Simple finish done. So is it safe to say, then, that based on that context, twiddling a bunch of knobs is not going to improve things? I I think so. Yeah, I agree with you. Um, Although if I'm photographing a moving critter, it's probably moved to Cleveland by the time I finish faffing around. Or if I'm photographing an insect, it's transmogrified into whatever the next stage of its (laughs) life cycle is. It's no longer a caterpillar. It's become a a butterfly and it's gone away to wherever butterflies go. So I'm not getting it. Now another method that you talked about, that you've heard as a good reason, well I'm shooting a sequence of images so the exposure should always be the same. Okay, if I set the camera manually, unless I change something, the exposure is always going to be the same. But is that going to work all the time?
1: Well, it'll give you the same exposure, the same image, whether that's that's what you wanted or not is another story altogether.
0: Well, tell me why it wouldn't work.
1: Well, because unless you're in a situation where you can control everything... Um, things change. Mm. Light changes. The the nice natural light that's coming through the window is not coming from a 45 degree angle anymore. So yeah, uh, everything changes.
0: So you're saying that direction, color, quality of light could shift over time. Yep. That may necessitate an exposure change which means my fixed settings aren't helping me. Nope. Hmm. So the concept of saying, well, I'm just shooting a sequence, I should just put it in manual, could apply, but could just as easily not apply. Correct. If the goal is a reasonably exposed photograph. Yes. Right. So we're going to assume that a reasonably exposed photograph is a desired outcome. Okay, yep. Yeah. Okay, now the next thing that you'd shared was uh, someone saying, when shooting moving subjects, once the illumination of the subject has been established, it's going to remain the same regardless of the background. I shoot a lot of moving stuff. And I don't buy that for an instant. Because if it's moving, by definition, what is behind it is changing. Yep. What if the reflectance of the background changes? Could that affect things? Well,
1: I think the point that they're raising is that if... You're using one of the automatic modes, so your viewfinder is, or, or your light meter is reading, let's say six, eight points, and uh, averaging them out. So if your if your background has gone from light to dark, then the light meter is going to change what the subject is going to be doing.
0: I, I And I would agree I, that that was true back in the 70s. Right. But I've got, a, you've got a camera that's got 320 light meter zones. Yep. And it's got a very sophisticated computer in it. Yep. It's basically got, I don't know, something on the order of 150 times the processing power of the computer in the Apollo 11 capsule. That sounds about right. In your hand? Yep. My own experience, practical real-world experience, is that the light meters are pretty darn good. Now, I have to do some job as the creative. Yes. Fill the frame. Yep. Follow, uh, pan appropriately, keep my subject in the frame. Yep. But I would have to do that whether I was shooting a manual or not. Otherwise, I've got a picture of something that's very far away. And it's
1: sure, and that, all bets are off.
0: All bets are off, and, and I give up. <coughs> why, why bother?
1: And, uh, and, if it, and if the subject that you, you think you have the appropriate exposure to uh, flies over a patch of something that's darker or lighter or goes behind a tree or emerges on the other side, uh, anything that you said before is open up is, well. It may as well be a crapshoot because it may or may not uh, reflect uh, what the what the, what the moving subject is doing at that point.
0: Yeah, and and when we when we're talking about moving subjects, you know, Gord Gord is a tremendous bird photographer. Yeah. Well, I think you are. You, you put a lot of time and effort into the whole process. I'm an adequate bird photographer. But I tend to shoot more in, in flight than anything else. Yep. Um, I shoot a lot of sports.
1: mm
0: mm-hmm. Popular example I would think of where this would blow me apart would be motocross racing. Oh, yeah. Because... I'm gonna probably be in a fixed position because the cars are moving way quicker than I am. I may be in a shooting paddock mm-hmm. and I could be there for hours. The cars are going the same speed. They're hitting the corner at the same time because I'm gonna pick a place where there's a corner. but I don't have a direct line to the sun, yep, or the track lighting control, yep to say, okay, I'm set for this, keep it that way. And so I might as well let the camera at least coach me to say, hey, light's changed. You might want to do something about that. And in the case of sports, or butterflies, I tend to want to maintain a certain level of depth of field. I want to maintain a certain shutter speed, but I also want to deal with changing light. Oh, wait, you talked about the way to deal with that already, and it's called auto ISO. Yep. And I know we're going to get that. Yes, but I have to keep the ISO as low as possible because I'm going to get noise. Really? Where do you use your photographs? Are you sharing them on Facebook or Instagram?
1: you good, but uh, the, I think the point that they're missing is you've only got, you've set one parameter. You've only got two other parameters you can change. Yeah. And it doesn't matter how much you want to keep your noise down. Uh, If your ISO is low, something has to change. So either you're shooting at a slower speed and the car is now a blur or your ISO goes up. But one way or the other, something is going to change. And it's going to change whether you do it or the camera does it.
0: Yeah, so in my case for motor cars, I know how much depth of field I'm going to need based on the camera to subject distance. Okay. I know what shutter speed I want because I know where I want sharpness and where I want motion blur. Right. I want to see wheel spin. I don't want to see jerky cars. Right. So that's practice. You build skill in doing that and you figure it out and it works. Or it's like going to shoot the rodeo, which you and I have done a lot. First couple of shots you're going, eh, that's not quite a lot. <laughs> but then you get to the point where the horse, horse's head and the rider are tack sharp and the legs are a blur. Yep. And that's a wonderful photograph because it demonstrates what you're photographing. Auto ISO is a great way to solve that problem. Mm-hmm. Now, I will hear the argument that there are cameras that will let you set your shutter speed manually. And set your aperture manually and still have auto ISO. Yep. Cool. That's not shooting manual. Because I'm still letting the camera help me out. Mine too. Mine will do that as well. And and I've used them that way. It doesn't matter. But if the light changes, that camera is going to know about the light changing way faster than I am. Yes, exactly. And if I'm focusing on getting the shot... I may not notice that the light meter is saying, you are three stops too dark, dingbat. Mm -hmm. Or two stops too light. Done that too. (laughs) Where in in that particular scenario, auto ISO is going to work for me. Or if I'm photographing a raptor, bird, not plane, that's flying through the sky. Yep. If I've set myself up well and I've got an interesting sky, meaning not all cloud or not all blue, I'm going to want to let that float, that ISO float. Mm -hmm. Because I'm going to, again, try to behold a certain amount of depth of field and a certain shutter speed to achieve the goal that I want. And whether I'm successful or not, that's up to me. That's not up to the camera.
1: Right.
0: Camera's just a tool. Okay. So... You could do it in manual, but you're not getting any any benefit, and you may be giving some things up oh, for, yeah. for moving yeah. subjects.
1: For me, anyway, that's the way it would work out.
0: Yeah. Now, I know the uh, the argument is, well, if the background light changes, then the light meter is going to be wrong. Yes, that's true. Mm-hmm.
1: But you're supposed to be able to see that and
0: adjust it. One would hope if you are the Mark 1 Mod 0 eyeball behind the hammer, you're going to notice that the background just got a whole lot brighter, a whole lot darker. Yep. And if you choose not to adjust for that, and your photographs don't come out the way you want, ain't the camera's fault. It's all on the creator. And I'm not sure whether I'm shooting in manual or not is going to make any difference to me because I'm still accountable for detecting that the luminous ratio between my subject and my background has altered. Yep. That's on me. So I'm still not getting a benefit.
1: I'm not seeing it.
0: Okay. So those are some scenarios that I've heard people say, you've got to shoot a manual. And I'm sorry, gang. Gang. Got to, doesn't fit. Can you? Of course you can. Sure. If it makes you happy to, crazy go nuts. Fill your boots. But don't go telling everybody that that's the only way it works. Because someone's going to come along with their camera and program, and they're going to show up with a better image than you got. <laughs> yeah. It was,
1: it was, it been there. It's...
0: Yeah, been there, saw it, was really pleased to see great work. Then smacked self in head for spending so much money on cameras.
1: Well, that's the that's the other point I was going to raise. Okay, so great if you want to shoot manual. How much that camera cost you, and what did you pay for? So you paid for the algorithms that went into it. You went into uh, the mechanics that went into it. You paid for all these fancy dancy. Uh, programs that they have and you've paid three thousand four thousand dollars to get this top-end camera and what are you doing using it as a pinhole
0: well and and as you know I've got a bunch of old cameras if I need a fully manual camera I've got medium format film cameras (laughs) that are fully manual I got a four by five that doesn't even have a light meter I also have a Pentax K1000, one of the finest mechanical manual cameras ever built. It has a built-in light meter that, frankly, is sort of... Its accuracy is like horseshoes, right? (laughs) It's pretty close. The thing is rock rock solid. You can hit it with a train. And yes, although I would have to shoot film in it, brand new, because I sold them back then, they were $200 with a lens. And you know how much they cost now?
1: I hate to think.
0: $250. (laughs) If you can find them on the used market. Because it doesn't do anything, it requires complete engagement on the part of the creator. So if you're going to spend, hell, if you're going to spend $1,000 on a camera and you're not going to use its function, I have to ask you, Why? What for? Because no manufacturer has done anything in the last 50 years to make manual better. It's just what it is. (coughs) So all that investment, all that engagement, all that intelligence that we know is in today's cameras, although we might agree that they're stupidly overpriced these days you're not using any of it easier to burn your money or get crayons that works but that brings us to the question of what are the drawbacks well I can see time as being one yep Not only the time to make the settings, but also me. I'm not going to react as quickly mm-hmm. as that computer and the sensor uh, is going to. Yep. But what are some other drawbacks? Are there others? I think there are a few others. Uh, for
1: one thing, uh, it doesn't matter whether you're shooting manual or when, uh, any of these semi automatic modes. You still have to understand the information that the camera is feeding you. I and agree. If you don't act on that, then you have wasted your
0: time. Would, would you agree that it's also important that you understand what your subject is? Yes. And what it's doing? Yes. So that's got nothing to do with camera mode. Nope.
1: Okay. And it'll, that will occur with whatever you're using. And uh, then there is uh, a friend of ours who was at uh, a shoot, and uh, the uh, the horses were let let loose in the field, and uh, he was very unhappy with the images he got. Why is that? Well, apparently he didn't check all of, all of his settings. He wasn't manual, but uh, he didn't. Uh, evaluate as well as he usually does. And he got a lot of unsatisfactory images, and he was an
0: unsatisfactory,
1: unsatisfactory unhappy person for quite a while afterwards.
0: And that's unfortunate because the, the person you're talking about, he's a very good photographer yes. um, with a great eye. But he made a human error. Yep. He forgot something. Yep. Okay, so like I walked into this room and couldn't remember why I came in. So I think that may happen to humans on some relatively regular basis. And if you forget, what can you do after the fact to fix it?
1: Uh, Well, you'd spend an awful lot of time in whatever your program is that you're using, or you scrap it, because it may not be recoverable.
0: Yeah, and that's the point. However good software is, it may not be recoverable. And you could spend hours trying to recover something that is a legitimate, honest mistake. Mm -hmm. And it's never going to work out. So, Hmm. okay. So do you shoot in one of the semi-automatic modes most of the time?
1: I'm sorry, say again?
0: Do you shoot in one of the semi-automatic Most of
1: the time I am, yes.
0: Okay. So as a photographer, how is that advantageous or beneficial to you?
1: Well, um, we already talked about the time time aspect. Uh, It's um, simple to do most of the time. Mm -hmm. And if I make a mistake, like the one we just talked about, the chances are good the camera is going to give me something workable.
0: Mm-hmm. Because it's doing some some of the work for you. Yeah. it's So if,
1: if I've been an idiot, uh, well, the camera generally isn't.
0: Right. It's doing some of the mechanical yeah. tasks. They're not creative tasks. The camera's not being creative. Nope. It's just doing some of the mechanical stuff that you would have had to do anyway. Yep. So that's a ben- benefit. What else do you see? Um, Not sure. Um, Well, let me share one for myself. Yes. I grew up in manual cameras. Okay. So when I got my very first semi-automatic camera, it was aperture preferred and manual. That's the Mm -hmm. only two things it did. What it allowed me to do is spend less time thinking about knobs and dials, yes, and rings, mm-hmm. and spend more time thinking about what I wanted to achieve in the photo. Yes. Now, Was I successful in that a hundred percent of the time? No. no. I wasn't, but my success rate did go up, particularly when things were changing quickly. Yep. You know, if I was in a place where nothing moved and the light never changed, there was probably limited value. But that's not where I shot. Mm -hmm. You know, I was shooting weddings. I was shooting people and portraits and flowers and bugs and, you know, macro stuff. In every one of those cases... Semi-automatic never let me down, but more importantly, I spent more time seeing, Mm -hmm. not looking, but seeing what I was going to get and working to achieve the goal. So that's one that I might think of. You already talked about another one in that the camera maker's experience in building the algorithms, is more than I can ever know. Yep. They all have a larger sample size. Yep.
1: So cameras are generally, certainly nowadays, they are very good at what they have been designed to do. Yeah, they are. And if you think your way through, uh, through the light meter and what the camera is showing you, it will not make a mistake. And when we say, oh, the stupid camera has done this and this, well, generally it's not. It's generally a major screw up this side of the viewfinder.
0: Yeah, yeah. And so it's often the 12-inch error. Absolutely. Problem exists behind the viewfinder. <clears throat> I mean, in the context of semi-automatic, because I used to have to go through this back in the 80s when I would meet photographers coming into a camera store. And I was working in the retail area at that time. And they would come in and I was working as a photographer and working in the camera store part-time to help pay for photography. The story of everyone who's ever worked in a camera store, right. uh, how to support your habit. Yep. <laughs> uh, they would say, well, why is this automation necessary? And the whole principle behind automation of any kind is to be able to repeat consistently and accurately the same step over and over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. That's why assembly lines work. Yep. Because they do the tedious stuff and leave the stuff that requires human engagement, human sight, human thinking to the human person. Right. Right. You know, I equate equate this myself to painting, and I'm a terrible painter. Uh, I mean, artistic painter, not house painter. Although although I suck at that too. Uh, Back in the olden days, an artist had to make their own paints. Like literally collect the materials, grind the rocks or pebbles or, plants or whatever, to make their own paints. I don't know any painters doing that today. They're buying...
1: Nobody I've hired recently.
0: <laughs> yeah, they're buying consistently manufactured paints mm-hmm. that from one tube to the next are always the same color if it's the same color on the label. They flow the same. They dry the same. And that doesn't make the painting great or not great. That's up to the artist. Yes. And what the artist does with the paint. Are there more people capable of making paintings today than if you had to grind your own freaking paint?
1: Oh, I, absolutely.
0: Of course. It's a case of applying the automation to the stuff that's tedious. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't require massive amounts of human insight.
1: Right.
0: Whether I'm shooting manual or not, I still have to choose the right shutter speed. Or I have to choose the right depth of field. Or if I'm still freaking out about noise, and I don't, I'll be choosing the the ISO. Right. So I think that there are more advantages for the general photographer in one of the semi-automatic modes than going through the rigmarole to shoot in manual. And by the way, there's like a whole bag of people building photos every day, shooting in full automatic mode on their smartphone right. and being very, very happy. Yes. No. someone said to me, well, I wouldn't buy that phone because I can't shoot it in manual.
1: Uh, nope, nope, that's not being. Although I did see something when I was looking up some of the stuff on this, that there was an article that actually... shooting in manual on your cell phone. And I said, okay, I don't have the time to get into this right now, but I I don't know if you really have the burning desire to do that. Well, I I I,
0: actually can on my cell phone. What I don't have is the burning desire. (laughs) Exactly. Because I'm not seeing any value add to it. Right. You know, on that tiny sensor, which does a beautiful job making photographs, like point, click. Yep. It's the ultimate point-and-shoot. Oh, It's got exposure compensation if I wanted it. Right. I've got no need, you know. Now, there are times, though, where shooting in manual could make sense.
1: Uh, I certainly think so, yeah. I'm...
0: Yeah, so for I, I can talk about one. Okay. And that's as a studio photographer. Right. Because what does studio photography mean?
1: Uh, You're taking photographs in a studio and you have everything that you need to control controllable.
0: Right. It is absolutely 100% controlled. I control the light. I control the direction. (coughs) I control the quality. (coughs) I control the light to subject distance. Right. The camera to subject distance. I control what the background is. And then once I've got my subject where I want them to be and I've got settings that I like, I don't need any automation. Yep. And the only reason I don't need automation is because nothing's changing. Sure. The tedium has already been taken the care of. The tedium is taken care of. <clears throat> I really like it and it works really well. Now, the camera may be on manual, but it may not mean that all the flashes are on manual. I might still be using automation in the flashes. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Or not. Choice, depending upon the scenario. Yeah. But who made the decision?
1: That would be you.
0: I did. As the creator.
1: Right. So the camera is stabilized. It's uh, it's standardized. Yeah. And you're still making changes, but the changes are creative decisions made by you. Yeah.
0: Lift your chin. Yep. Turn your, turn your head... A little bit more. A bit more. Stop. That looks great. Yep. Well, now point your left ear at Saturn. What? (laughs) Um, So that that one for me is a great place. Now you, I know, uh, invested a fair bit of time earlier this year in learning to leverage the zone system. Yes. Does manual help there?
1: I think it does. Um, Again, it doesn't really change the image, but it makes it easier for me to evaluate components of the scene and determine uh, how much they deviate from the middle gray that everybody talks about.
0: That makes great sense to me.
1: Because now I I know that's bright, that's three times as bright, that's twice as bright, that's one time as bright. That little thing in the corner there is what I really want to see. I can now place things where I want them. And I believe it's, I could probably do that in, say, aperture priority. But it gets complicated.
0: Um, In this instance, manual might be actually the simpler route.
1: It is. It is the route, and,
0: and I happen to concur with you. Uh, partly because when I learned how to shoot in the zone using the zone system, the only option I had was a manual camera. But it causes you to be more reflective and more conscious of what you're photographing, and then you've got this. Typically, you're only changing one thing at a time,
1: mm-hmm.
0: so you're not having to deal with massive changes. Right, um, and that that's a great example. Um, now, one of the ones that you brought up, and I want you to start to start with it, is when you're mixing ambient and flash. Yep. Now, you know I've got opinions on this because my second lens is a flash. Yep. But why does it matter to you? How does manual help you in that case?
1: Uh, because the principle behind mixing flash and ambient, is that the overall exposure has to be set for the ambient. But there may be something that's getting in the way of the subject being adequately illuminated and then that has to be illuminated by something else, but not to the point where it leaps off the page and says, look at me, I got lit with a flash. So you have to be able to control two different levels of illumination and get them to come out looking like one. Okay. And that I find easier to do when I set the ambient, when I find the correct ambient exposure and I lock it in on the camera, however one chooses to do that, And then use the separate one to illuminate the subject.
0: But all in the same shot.
1: All in the same shot.
0: See, that makes perfect sense, because if I heard you correctly, you're determining what you want the ambient lighting to look like. Yep. And you lock that in, and so no matter what you do, as long as the light doesn't change, Mm -hmm. that's going to be very consistent. Yep. And then you're going to start to manipulate the duration and the position of the flash Mm -hmm. to define the amount of flash illumination. Yep. And in this case, it's not fill flash. It is two sources that you're managing separately. Correct. And independently. Correct. And that makes great sense. That's a, that's a very logical approach because by locking down, you're removing an element of variability that could negatively impact you. Mm-hmm. Right? You didn't want your flash control program to start mucking with the shutter speed yep. or the aperture. That yep. works well. Um, that makes sense. You could do it with semi-automatic, but maybe it would take longer. Maybe it would be more fussing.
1: I've, I've tried doing it that way, and it is more fuss.
0: It, it is more fuss on the cameras that I use. It's much easier to find the ambient that I want. Yeah, I'm typically there in two anyway. And then as long as I just pay attention to what's happening, I'm pretty good. And then I also have the ability to manipulate the ambient independent of the flash. Yes. Oh, I'd like the ambient to be a little darker. Yep. Okay, well, I can just manipulate that by one click on the shutter speed dial. Yep. Because I don't do one-third and two-third stop compensation changes because they don't matter. I've got so much dynamic range on the sensor, they're not helping. Okay, I like that. Uh, That's a great one. I'm going to give you another one. Okay. I'm not a big shooter of HDR. Okay. But when I do... I want a really wide range of exposures. Okay. And I look at my cameras and some of them will only go, you know, in auto exposure bracket mode. Yep. They'll only go plus or minus two. Yeah. Or up to plus or minus three. But given the range of, di- the dynamic range of the sensor in my cameras, I'm not shooting at plus or minus one or plus or minus two. I'm shooting at zero and plus or minus three and something else. Right. Maybe plus or minus five or six. And if I'm doing a big stack, I'm going to go plus or minus seven or eight. Why? Because I got 12 stops of dynamic range native in the sensor. Right. So going plus or minus two isn't doing anything for my HDR project.
1: Right. Because that's already taken care of. It's
0: already in the sensor. Yeah. It's already there. But what I get out of this is my camera's automatic bracketing ability doesn't extend as far as I want. Okay. I put the camera in manual, I can set it to do anything I want. Sure. Black, white, seven down, eight up. Mm-hmm. Now, that puts the onus on me to make it right, but then I'm...
1: But that's what manual is all about. That's, that's what I wanted to do anyway. That's
0: right. So another place where I use manual is when I'm doing HDRs because I tend to do them in a very planful way. Right. You know, I don't have the camera on AEB in high-speed burst mode either. Right. You know, like, in the hope that one of the three will be decent. Okay. That's a choice I make. That doesn't necessarily make it right for everyone, but it's a choice that works for me. And so that's a a place where I find the manual mode very helpful.
1: Yeah, I hadn't thought of that, but yes, that makes perfect sense.
0: But how often do I do that? Not very darn often.
1: I, I haven't seen you do it very often.
0: No, no, that's right, because it's usually a very special situation. So what about the rest of the time? Okay, I identify two areas where I like the camera and manual. Studio. Mm-hmm. very, very specific shooting situation. Right. And HDR. Right. And the rest of the time, I'm using one of the semi-automatic modes, and I might be using auto ISO as well, because I don't worry about noise. Sure. So the, the,
1: so the one other place that uh, I thought of uh, afterwards is uh, when I'm using an ND filter.
0: Okay, tell me more.
1: Well... <coughs> Because uh, with the ND filter, depending on the strength of the filter or the amount of reduction of light, your automatic exposure and your exposure meter may may not actually mean anything.
0: Technically, probably won't.
1: So at that point, you have to get your ambient exposure... Make sure you remember what it is. Uh, put your filter in and then do the appropriate calculations to adjust your exposure time. Shutter speed. Whatever you want to call it.
0: Well no, I and and it's so obvious that I, I feel bad for not thinking about it. But I know, for example, that most camera meters most camera meters mm-hmm don't work down below minus one EV. Okay. You put a 10-stop ND filter on something, you're probably below minus one EV. So you're right. The meter reading is going to be wrong. Right. So throw the camera in manual, get your base zero exposure. Yep. Put on your 10-stop filter, and then if you can't count clicks, use an app like ND (laughs) timer that says, yeah, you're going to go this for 30 seconds. And you do it, or two minutes, or whatever the time is. Whatever it says. Based on your base exposure and this filter strength, do the following. Great, great suggestion. Particularly since we've recommended ND filters so often. (laughs) (laughs) Bastards, I bought this filter and it doesn't work. Yep, I I was
1: sort of doing other things and I said, wait a minute, what happened to those ND filters?
0: It's not going to work. Okay. Yeah, you're right. So I think that's pretty good, Gordon. I think we've, I think we've given manual mode advantages and where it's a strong fit, but I also think that we've respectfully said where it doesn't make any darn difference. Right. And that people shouldn't be afraid to use the semi-automatic modes, because they're not losing anything. They're not gaining anything by shooting in manual mode.
1: Absolutely. And I've got a feeling that the, many of the people in our club, that and I won't say all, but some of them who have made the statement of, oh, I'm a manual shooter, Uh, if you watch them doing what they're doing, it becomes apparent that they don't know what they're doing. I mean, there are some who are very good, including the person who made the mistakes. But there are also some who uh, haven't given any thought to what the information is that's being fed to them by the the exposure meter and how to correct for it.
0: Or information that's being... Fed to them by the internet
1: well that's the you
0: know
1: can't blame the camera for that
0: (laughs) no but everybody and their dog seems to want to sell you a camera class or a photography class and they all want to tell you to shoot in manual because that's guaranteed income for them because it's not going to work well (laughs) and you and i both know somebody who sold cameras for years and his first thing was well you shoot it in in automatic first so you can learn to shoot it in manual." Right. <laughs> and that scared off a lot of people because, uh, oh, I thought this was going to be simple. In fact, factually, it is simple. Anything else you got in closing? No, I
1: think that's pretty much beat it to pulp.
0: I, well, I don't know if it's been beaten to a pulp, but I think we've covered this sub- subject well. So, for the Make Better Photos and Videos podcast, I've been Ross. And I'm Gordon. And we will speak to you again very soon.